Good morning. We have a great opportunity to open God's word and allow the word of God to sanctify us this morning. And so usually as we've started these services, especially in this series, we've started with reading the entire text that we're going to study in in its entirety by standing up and reading it. We're not going to do that this morning, but I would ask you to turn to Ephesians 2, verse 11. That's where we're going to start today. Ephesians 2, verse 11. We've been going through the book of Ephesians in the series called Horizons as we go verse by verse through what the Apostle Paul said to the church in Ephesus. And it's been exciting to allow the word of God to dictate what is being taught. Amen? Already through this letter to the church in Ephesus and Asia Minor, we've walked through Paul addressing God's eternal choice based on his gracious character. Last week in particular, we studied the hopelessness of fallen humanity saved by God's gracious acts through Christ, which must be received and lived out by faith. Today, we will address how God's will has always been the salvation of all types of humans, both Jews and Gentiles. We'll be looking in depth on how God saves you and I to be his people. And how he saves and sees you is more important than how many likes you get on social media, how many friends you have. Because what God sees in you is a people, his people, his church, if you've received by grace the salvation offered in Jesus Christ. So as we've gone through this book, I want to remind us, as we've said almost every single week, that Ephesians is about who we are and what we do. So turn with me, Ephesians chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 11, and here's what it says. We're going to read a little, talk a little, read a little, talk a little, and then we will have the opportunity to respond in worship and communion. Here's what the Apostle Paul says through the power of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, remember that formerly... You who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. He starts with remember. And remember seems to be a theme of this passage and a theme that he gives to God's people, especially throughout the Old Testament as the Israelites were constantly being reminded of what God had done because they would forget. Gentiles, this word is literally the word nations or ethnos in Greek. It refers to all the peoples who are not in the line of Jacob. The Old Testament term nations in, in Hebrew, I'm going to say it wrong, but it is goim. It was a derogatory way of referring to all the people that were not Jews. The Gentiles, these new believers in Christ that were not Jews, who had neither a God or they had a placebo God, needed to be reminded of what their life was like before Christ. So there were those who were known as the circumcision, those Jews who were a part of Israel, and they were Jews who had a surgery performed. But here is what they and we often miss. If not careful, we can confuse the symbol with the spiritual reality in which it stands. Here's what I mean. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 16, ESV, extra spiritual version. Here's what it says. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. For many, they believe that the outward expression, which was meant to be a symbol to show that these men of Israel were actually set apart, became what they found their justification in, a symbol. But the true circumcision, to be a part of the, quote, circumcision, if you will, was not a surgery on one's private parts, but on the most private part, which is our hearts. We cannot see into one's heart, but we can get a sense of what someone believes by how they behave, can't we? 
And if we come to Jesus, we come having a surgery done on our hearts. We are cut to the heart with the message of the gospel. If we come to Jesus, we are cut to the heart with the message of the gospel. And instead of being satisfied with some symbol that does not save us, we allow the Lord to perform the heart surgery on us, which means he gives us a new heart, doesn't he? He gives us a new mind. He gives us new priorities. He gives us a new life found in him. See, circumcision is about a spiritual surgery on the heart. But in the Old Testament, we see people making the mistake of the symbol. We start to see them make the symbol their salvation. And if we are not careful, we will do the exact same thing in the New Testament as well. Let me take you to a place where I see this happening, where I think in the church today we're doing a very similar thing. Acts chapter 2, verses 36 through 38. You don't have to turn there. It'll be up here. But here's what it says. This is Peter preaching at Pentecost. You've got a ton of God-fearing Jews that have come to celebrate the Passover. And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, dominated by the Holy Spirit, gets up and starts to preach the least seeker-sensitive sermon ever. Here's what he says. Just at the tail end of it, imagine George playing piano behind him. Therefore, let all of Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified both Lord and Messiah. God has made Jesus, whom you killed, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, attend church once a week. Nope. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. See, Peter called people to repentance. A change of mind and direction that is irreversible. Peter called people to repentance, which was a change of mind and a change of direction that was irreversible. And he said to stop following the ruler of the kingdom of the air, as we saw earlier in Ephesians 2, and to start to follow Jesus. But again, we and they are prone to idolatry, aren't we? So we can make a simple salvation, and many believe that if we get baptized or get our child baptized, that that salvation is achieved because of something outwardly that they did. Listen, baptism is an outward expression of what you believe inwardly, which can only come about via the Holy Spirit drawing someone to repentance. Baptism without repentance is a public bath for others to see. That's weird. So please, church, don't look to baptism as how salvation happens or how you are sealed and sanctified by God. See, don't get me wrong, you ought to be baptized. You ought to be baptized. Did I lose? I did. I'm on. I thought I was on. I'm loud. Am I on? Yeah, okay. Where was I? You ought to be baptized. Preach! You ought to be baptized. Because if you have made a commitment to Jesus, the first thing you should do is find an opportunity to be baptized in front of witnesses if you've trusted Jesus with your life. But many will say they don't know enough, won't they? Isn't that the excuse to not being baptized? Well, I don't know enough. 
But honestly, that is under the assumption that, the bat that baptism is your finish line, when baptism is the starting blocks to discipleship. So don't make salvation about the symbol, if that's either baptism or circumcision. See, repentance is true circumcision. To repent is to turn from your way of life and to turn to Jesus who is the way and the life. I can yell now since there's no mic. Yeah, yeah. But now as Paul speaks to these Gentiles in Ephesus, in Asia Minor, we see that they no longer have to be a Jew attempting to earn or maintain their salvation by what they can do. But there were these Judaizers, if you will. Judaizers, that's a fun name. Judaizers who had come along and started to tell others in Ephesus that they had to do something in order to be saved. San Jose State students, you have people on your campus saying that you have to do something else in order to be saved. But these, in this context, these Judaizers said that the Gentiles, before that they could become an actual Christian and be saved by God, first must become a Jew through circumcision. Ow. Not through a new heart, but through the act of surgery. So now the stakes have just gotten higher, much higher, if you are a grown man, right? Because now you're being told you have to do something, not only that would be uncomfortable, it would be incredibly painful. So they better be right. But Paul comes along and says that what these Judaizers are saying are not necessary. And Paul addresses this very thing as he writes to the church in Galatia. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 through uh, 6. We're going to read this. You don't have to turn there. It'll be up here, but I would take a note. Paul is addressing this, well, to the church in Galatia. Satan, what are you trying to do, bro? Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 through 3 is what we're looking for. Wow, that's awesome. People are going to get saved today. Screw you, Satan. All right, verse 1. Galatians chapter 5. You're going to have to turn there like... We're, you know, in the olden days. Verse 1. It is for freedom, hear me, that Christ has set us free. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace, for through the Spirit, capital S, we eager await, eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through, what's that word? Love. Paul is once again saying that the law, the old covenant, was not to bring us life as much as it was to foreshadow the one who is the life. And that our works were never the way in which we would become redeemed, but the Redeemer was coming. Jesus offered grace instead of works. Jesus offered justification by grace instead of works. And this very thing was a huge deal in the New Testament churches. This is what caused so much misunderstanding, so much conflict in the early church. So as you've turned to Galatians, you still want to be in Ephesians, but we're going to take a field trip to Acts. 
And in Acts chapter 15, we see the apostles who have furthered the gospel. They've been preaching the gospel not just to Jew, but to Gentile, to people that were not Jews. And people were coming to know that Jesus Christ was alive. And people were starting to understand the ramifications of what that meant. And as the mission to the Gentiles continues forward, the early church is faced with this challenge of understanding theologically how the Gentiles have been accepted into God's people. The meeting recorded here regularly is known as the Jerusalem Council, and it started around 49 AD. So you have Paul and Barnabas, some other believers who were appointed as the spokespeople for this particular issue. And once they arrived to the Jerusalem Council, Paul and Barnabas bragged on how God decided to reach not just Jews, but Gentiles by faith in Jesus. And the believers were excited about this. Do you know that when someone comes to faith, if you are a believer, you ought to get excited about that? But some of them, who were former Pharisees, who had become Christians, said that the Gentiles would first have to submit to the law of Moses and be circumcised. So then the elders and the pastors and the apostles met to discuss this very question. So I want you to see in Acts 15, starting in verse 7. Here's what it says. We're going to read a bit. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers? You know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them, just as he did to us. God did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, Why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? I love that. No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. The whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul telling about the signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles through them. Then James, the half-brother of Jesus, Weighed in. See, James was the original head elder of the church in Jerusalem. James was the lead pastor of the church in Jerusalem. James grew up with Jesus. You got to think that when James was about to talk, everyone paid attention. People were taking pictures and selfies with James in the background going, look who's in the room, right? Like they were getting excited. And so James stands up, and here's what he says. When they were finished, James spoke up. Brothers, he said, listen to me. Simon, Peter, has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. And then James goes on and he quotes the prophet Amos. And he says, in agreement with this, as it is written, after this, I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it, that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name You better say hallelujah to that if you understand what that means, says the Lord, who does these things, things known from long ago. And then James comes up with a judgment. He explains a text. He quotes the Hebrew scriptures and what he is about to say, I don't want you to miss. It is my judgment, James says, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for Gentiles who are turning to God. I'm going to preach a little. See, these words resonate with me. And how often in the church, 
of Jesus Christ, the Christian church, I don't care which church we're talking about as long as they preach the gospel and they're of God, how often do we attempt to make it difficult for people to come to Jesus? Through our man-made traditions rather than what God actually says. Church of the Valley, I don't want us to become a church that loses its voice in the community because we're making it impossible for people to turn to God. See, I know the arguments. I can hear them in my mind right now. We shouldn't be of the world. You're absolutely right. I agree, but we got to be in the world. We put our boat in the water. We don't allow the water to get into the boat. You feel me? We put our boat in the water, but we don't allow the water to get into the boat. If that doesn't make sense, ask someone as you leave. We're getting a small group. They'll talk about it. And honestly, the most important thing you can do once you know Christ is to show Christ off. Why have we gotten away from this in the church? See, I know I'm the evangelism guy. I know I started a ministry to teach people how to share their faith. So please don't let these words be callous against your heart. Christ saved us to make much of him. So we would not be quiet. We would not be 007 Christians, but we would make much of the fact that Jesus made it so we're alive. If you are a Christian, you are known as a little Christ. That's what originally the word Christian meant. It was actually a derogatory term. You were a little Christian. Ah, you little Christian. Well, you were a little Christ, but your job as a little Christ is to point people to the true Christ. I've used this. <laughs> I've used this before, but I love it. Charles Spurgeon says, you're either a missionary or an imposter. Ouch. Don't get mad at me. Get mad at him. He's dead, but get mad at him. And what I'm not saying is that if you're in this room, that you should feel guilty because you don't share Christ with everyone. Listen, Jesus walked past people in Scripture. So don't start to feel, oh, I feel so guilty because I don't share Christ with everyone. But do you share Christ with anyone is the question. I love you enough to tell you if you don't, something's wrong. James, the half-brother of Jesus, continues, and he says in verse 20, Instead, we should write to them, being the Gentiles, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, good call, from the meat of strangled animals and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. James is this democratic voice who encouraged the Gentile believers to abstain from four practices that they did in their misguided worship regularly to their God. And it offended and caused the Jews to stumble. To cause one to stumble is meant to throw a rock in front of someone's path to annoy them and to get them to change direction is what they mean. So church, can I just ask you, are you causing anyone to stumble? I don't feel I need to call out an itemized list, but if you push me, I will. But as two churches merge to become one, are there things that we are doing to cause one another spiritual growth to be slowed down because we're causing one another to stumble? May I remind you, we're not here to have the biggest church. We're here to be a faithful church of Jesus Christ. And so we want to see people grow more into the likeness of Jesus. We focus on sanctification. How can you apply the word of God to your life? Because if you're sanctified, you had to be justified. And far too often, we just focus on justification and don't assume that people need to be sanctified. 
It would be really easy, church, to repeat history with our culture where those who have been in the church for decades would expect certain things of people to be saved that are not in Scripture and are just tradition rather than God's words. And it would be really easy for those like myself who did not grow up in the church to exercise liberties and even accentuate those liberties to make faithful people stumble because of their consciousness, their conscience. It would be easy back then to see division between Jew and Gentile. And it would be easy today to see division between those who have grown up in the faith and those who haven't. Let me go a step further in our context. And another one that would be really easy to see division happen, I want you to be cognizant of those who have been at Church of the Valley for years and those who just got here. According to what the text says, we are both offered access to God through Christ and what he has accomplished so we would be his people. It's not through our devotion, church. It's not through our attendance. It's not through our way of receiving the elements or the ordinances or even our worship style. We are made right by Jesus Christ and him alone. And that will always trump our preferences and styles. Don't, don't worry that I said trump, it's okay. And we are made right by Jesus Christ. That will always be the point. So check yourself before you wreck yourself. Because what an absolute shame if you or I spend decades in a church building making our salvation about a symbol rather than a savior. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. Don't make your salvation about a symbol rather than a savior. Verse 12, that was one verse. We got through one verse. All right, let's go. Remember, there it is again, that at the time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. In the Old Testament, the root concept of apostasy was the idea of forgetting. As long as God's redemption was clear and fresh in the experience of the people, they were zealous in their worship and obedience. Don't we see that? As long as we've gone to church pretty consistently, as long as we had a sermon we really liked or they played the songs that we like, we feel more excited about Jesus. But it's when we miss a few weeks. It's when we're not around God's people. It's when we haven't opened the word of God that we start to forget all that God has done. It shouldn't be like that, but we're a forgetful people in our sin. But as the memory of God's blessing faded, their zeal began to fade as well. And it is this link between memory and the motivating power of gratitude that produces fruit in us, of righteousness. And Paul is reminding these Gentile converts that they are not to take for granted for what God has done in them. Church, are we taking it for granted the fact that we get to worship this morning? We take him for granted for the fact that we receive grace, not because we deserve it, but because God lavished it upon us. So another field trip in your mind, I want you to think about this just for a moment. Think about what your life was like before Christ. Some of you are like, I don't even remember a time. And some of you are like, yeah, that was not too long ago. And for those that it was not too long ago, it's really easy to look back at that time and I'm, I'm just expecting the building to catch on fire at some point. Um, I'll, I'll tell us to leave, probably. 
it's really easy if we have not been following Jesus for very long to remember how messed up our life was, was like without Jesus. But for many of us, we grew up in the church. We don't even remember a time when we were without Jesus. And as I studied, as we studied as a church last week in Ephesians chapter 2, before Christ, we were dead in our transgressions. What can you do when you're dead? Nothing. Where a lot of people who have grown up in the church have missed it is they start to think that either their justification and or their sanctification come from attendance in church or maybe from their birthright. Or as we've seen, we start to think wrongly that it's from our human will or our effort. But those who have found themselves redeemed and justified and regenerate, it's because God decided to intervene. Verse 13. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Oh, that's good news, church. Nothing brought you near but the blood of Jesus. It wasn't your effort or your heritage or your reputation. It was a gracious God doing for you what you couldn't do for yourself. Verse 14. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Okay. <clears throat> we do not live in a Christian nation. I hate to break that to you. I think some of you still hold on to the hope that that is true. But in the Western world, we specifically live in a post-Christian society. And a post-Christian society or nation is where the beliefs, of, the beliefs of Christianity are forgotten or rejected. So I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of show my Baptist roots real quick. I know that some of us who grew up in the church remember a time where Sunday morning church was just the tip of the iceberg. We didn't just have Sunday morning church. We had Sunday night church. Anybody? Anybody testify? All right, eight of you. Awesome. Yes, come on. We had Sunday morning church. We had Sunday night church. We had prayer meetings. We had choir opportunities to learn how to sing. We had different Bible studies. We met together and made sandwiches. We had potlucks. We had youth ministry. And if you grew up with these things, and even though we still do some of those today, we no longer live in a culture that believes what we once did and wants to do what we once did. See, people do not believe God. They don't necessarily believe his clergy. They don't believe his people like they once did. And so ways of seeing people reached and included into his body do not seem to have the same efficiency that they once had with the changing culture. See, I grew up thinking Christianity was a farce. But you know what still seems to not make sense to me? That Christianity often feels like it's not about Christ. That we make it about other things. We make it about symbols. And the Jews were the first to hear about the promised Messiah. The promised Christ. And then the Gentiles were included in this through grace. And one of the biggest aha moments for me. You ever read scripture and go, aha! One of the biggest aha moments for me was one of the times I was studying Romans. The book of Romans. Many, many people have studied the book of Romans and their minds have been blown by what God says through that specific book. And it's no more important than Leviticus in the sense that it is all God's word, but Romans seems to mess with people. 
and I was reading through the book of Romans where Paul is talking to these Gentiles in Rome. He's talking to these people and he's telling them, hey, you know, the gospel is this. You are justified by this. This is what is required of you. And there were Jews who would hear Paul saying the things that he would say. And the Jews literally felt like they had earned grace because of their birthright, because of where they grew up, because of the things that they did. So Paul would preach this saved by grace through faith. And yet the Jews didn't seem to understand grace. They didn't understand to not get what you deserve because they thought they deserved the Christ. He was in, in their lineage. They were devoted. They had kept the law in their minds. And because of that, the teaching saved by grace did not compute. But then all of a sudden, grace is offered to the Gentiles. And I could just imagine a first century Jew hearing that now Gentiles can be brought into the family of God. And they probably thought, wait, they don't deserve to be. Oh, now I get it. See, they didn't understand that grace was to get what you don't deserve. And as long as you think you deserve it, you won't get it. Ouch. So Jesus is breaking down the barrier. And he made it so not only theologically all men and women could call him the name of the Lord for salvation, but practically two different types of people, Gentile and Jew, could actually call on the name of the Lord to be saved as one people. So no matter your heritage, no matter your nationality, no matter your complexion, your spiritual history, your political makeup, let me say this one, your sexual orientation. I'm just going to let that sit there for a second. You can email me. You are offered entrance into being a people. God's people, one people, found in Jesus because he broke down the barrier. But don't miss the fact that when you repent and you trust Jesus, he decides to change you. That's evidence that you repented in the first place. So the wall of hostility is broken down. Jesus is our peace. He can remove the disconnect in relationships. He can take former Nazis. He can take ISIS members, racists, bigots, elitists, people that are, of, are black, white, Asian, Indian, Hawaiian, Greek, Jew, Gentile, Samaritan, and Jesus can bring peace to them all. Hallelujah. And he breaks down the wall of hostility because not only can he, he does. And so if you've called on the name of the Lord Jesus and yet you still think you're better than somebody, you've missed it. Because when you're in Jesus, that supersedes everything else. Verse 15. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. The law could not be the ladder to reach God. Because no one would climb it. But now because of Jesus, both the Jew who knew the law, inherited the law, heard about the law, and the Gentile who didn't know the law, didn't have access to the law, now could be brought together because of Christ's work on the cross and through the resurrection. See, Jesus didn't abolish the purpose of the law. He illuminated the fact that we could not work our way to God. 
He did not abolish the purpose of the law. He illuminated the fact that we could not and would not work our way to God. That was the question you asked me yesterday. Through the law and traditions that man could not keep, but Jesus could, and he did. And this work, his work, his perfection, keeping the law, created a new humanity. Ooh, his church. Verse 16. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. So when sin was defeated by Christ's work on the cross, the hostility and the elitism and the racism could also be dead on that cross, but so many people are trying to bring it back. Verse 17. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. Far away being the Gentiles who had not heard of the foreshadowing of the Messiah who was to come. And near were the Jews who were without excuse because they had been told they were God's chosen people. And who had been told the stories of this God who had brought the Israelites into the promised land. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. I love Trinity verses. By him, the Son... We have access to the Father by one spirit. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. We both, those who were far, those who were near, Jew and Gentile, we have access because of the triune God that we follow. And God the Father is not just a daddy to the Jew, but he is an Abba Father to the Gentile because we all have access. We all have the offer of adoption given to us. Because of Jesus. Jew and Gentile don't have differing spirits either. They don't have major league spirit and JV spirit, okay? They have the same spirit, the Holy Spirit, who raised Jesus from the dead. Consequently, he says in verse 19, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. All right, I do this a lot. I want you to look around at the people in this room. So look, just look around. See who's behind you, who's next to you, who's in front of you. All right. None of them are strangers in the kingdom if the Lord God Almighty has redeemed them. And so if this is your first week at the church, welcome. If you've been here for decades, welcome. If you've just started coming over the past few months, because of Christ, you are a fellow citizen in to be God's people and a member of his household. Gentiles, you are not foreigners. You also have been made right and righteous in God's eyes because his plan was to save both Jew and Gentile and make them his church. One unified together in Christ. And this was scandalous to a culture that said that Jews were good enough and that Gentiles weren't because of their devotion. See, our post-Christian society treats those who attend church as more righteous than those who don't, or at least more self-righteous. But unfortunately, we in the church buy into this lie as well, don't we? We don't check to see if someone has made a commitment to Jesus Christ or if there is fruit being born in their life. We just wonder if they attend a religious gathering weekly in a building or if they have been initiated by baptism. Please, if you have not been baptized and you've trusted Jesus, I'm here to be a friend and say, do it. But don't make the symbol your salvation. 
Church of the Valley, we got to change this trend. We cannot assume that people are good because of their attendance or because of a symbol. Souls are at stake. And the Church of Jesus Christ is not a club that you pay your dues to and get to treat as your playground. Man, that'll preach. Verse 20. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Um, it says the foundation, the prophets, and the apostles. We got to do some work here, okay? Because Paul often would point to Jesus as the foundation. And this text not only makes some critics believe that Paul was not the author, but it also makes some people hold that creation is, is held in a higher regard than the creator, which is and was and never will be the case. But Paul was testifying to the fact that the prophets and apostles were the ones that God decided to use and spoke through, and his very words entered into scripture to complete God's word, the Bible. And prophets were the people that the Lord spoke through to not only tell the future, but to warn that th what may happen if people would not repent. Apostles were sent ones by the Lord who he gave authority to heal the sick and raise the dead, to perform signs and wonders that would be huge neon signs to point to Jesus. All while some of their words and letters to individuals and churches would become included in the scripture that you hold today. And this cornerstone that, that Paul's talking about when he talks about the cornerstone in this context was the stone that a builder building a building would use as the direction of the building. This would be the cornerstone and everything would be built on top of it and around it. That was the context in which Paul used but then hundreds of years after this, there was another cornerstone that started to get talked about in society. And this cornerstone was essentially a facade. It was pretty. It was essentially a fake fireplace that you put in your living room to make it look like you have a nice house. Is how they sometimes would treat this other cornerstone. And many ever since... That cornerstone was created and talked about have treated Jesus as a facade, and as something that's just pretty. See, I don't want you to make Jesus first. I want you to make him center. And I've said this before, but I'm going to keep harping on this, because when we make Jesus first, we basically say, I woke up, I made my coffee, I did my devotional, and now the rest of the day is mine. That is not true if you're in Jesus Christ. Because if you've made him first, but not center, you think you can get away with doing whatever you want. But when he is center in your life, everything you do is attached to him. So he's not a facade. He's not just something pretty that you can treat as a mascot rather than the Messiah. He is the Lord. He is the Lord God Almighty. So do not treat him as a mascot. Verse 21. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. When Christ died in our place, he made a way that you and I could enter into God's presence. And the temple veil was torn in two. And we now have access. Not only that, we become the temple. Not only that, we collectively become God's church. His ecclesia. Woo, that's good news. Verse 22. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So you and I, if we've trusted Jesus Christ, have become the temple, both Jew and Gentile, both grew up in the church and did not. 
both have access to God through Jesus Christ. And the Holy, Holy Spirit resides in those who have trusted Jesus. So, Church of the Valley, we are not here to be a club member, but a part of God's church. If I could drop the mic, I would. And I don't want us to think that we can come here and make the church about us and to take away the glory that is deserved our king. So we live for Jesus. We don't make him first. We make him center. And everything that we do is reminded that he is the cornerstone. He is the one that did for us what we could not do for ourselves. Hallelujah and amen. Would you pray with me? Father, we have a, a sweet opportunity to spend time doing something that for 2,000 years people have been doing in communion to be reminded of what you've accomplished, what you have done by giving us a way to be made right in your eyes. And you gave us this ordinance, this remembrance, to be reminded of how amazing and awesome you are. And so, Lord, would you use this time to be a blessing? Would you use this time to be an opportunity for us to engage with the one true God? Lord, I'm just very grateful for what you're doing in this place. And so I ask that we would not hear a message like this and leave not thinking about how we would apply it. But we would not just be found as hearers, but we'd be found as doers who actually disciple and pour out our lives into other people because that was your plan. We thank you, Jesus, in your beautiful name. Amen. Communion is the application, is one of the best applications of being God's people. Both Jew and Gentile are offered the opportunity to come and remember what Jesus has done for us. So if you've grown up in the church, and if you have not, you are welcome at this table. If you are visiting and you've called on Jesus as Lord, you are welcome. But as we spoke about in the sermon, we can often make the symbol salvation rather than the Savior. And so as we come, I just want to encourage you, come with a heart that's prepared. Come with a heart that's prepared before God to say, Lord, you are king, and I am not, and I want to trust you. We have two different services. We do a more traditional service, 9 o'clock hour, and we do a more contemporary service, 1045. And so we're going to do it a little bit differently today. But we have the juice that's right here. And we have wafers that are right here. And the wafers signify Jesus' body that was broken for us. The juice signifies the blood that was shed for us. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 11 as Paul was speaking to the church and he reminds us of what communion is about. But what I'm going to ask of you to do is when you're ready, as we start to worship instrumentally and then start to sing the songs, if you came prepared to give, I'd encourage you to bring your offering up and drop it in one of these receptacles and take one of the wafers and here's what you're going to do, don't miss it, dip it into the juice and then partake in communion. But Paul said it this way, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. I would break it if I wasn't sick, so I'm not going to touch it. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup, and after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So this ordinance is like baptism. It was given to the believer to allow us to be set apart. And so if you are a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, we'd invite you to come and drop off your offering if you feel led to, if you don't do it under compulsion, only if you're prepared. But take of the body. Take of the blood. Take of the symbol that is a reminder of what Christ has done for us.